Blog Talk Radio. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. is January Jones. She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, The 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware. Because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful day. And I'm January Jones, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast today. As you know, my new brand is the Glitter Granny. We all wear many hats in life, and as we go through life, We change our hats often. Today, I'm wearing my silver interview hat. (laughs) The nice thing about hats is you don't have to muss with your hair. (laughs) Now, for my listeners, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in an abusive relationship? Tell me, do you even know what a really, really abusive relationship is? Have you ever met someone who has experienced a relationship with a narcissistic person? I haven't, but we're going to today. Can you imagine what it would be like to be abused? How horrible it would be. Now, would you like to meet someone who will share her own experience of living with a narcissist and surviving? Not only surviving, She's thriving. Tell me, have you ever heard of a famous book entitled The Courage to Say No? Or another amazing new book called Narctionary? And I just love saying that word. (laughs) If you can answer yes or maybe to any of the questions I've asked you, then you are in the right place. And welcome to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Now it's time. Relax. Go get some wine, get some cheese and crackers, and join us in the no wine zone. Now, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. She has 30 years' experience in abuse recovery, beginning with her own traumatic journey. She gives voice to crazy-making behaviors that imprison people in the cycle of narcissistic abuse. Her WIN Foundation and Reclaiming Me program 
leads to the only cure for narcissistic abuse trauma, and that is self-love. My guest says self-love is non-negotiable. And I'd like to welcome to the show today, Tracy Krimble. Hi, Tracy. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you on the show. And before we went on the air, we discovered that we share a mutual. Uh, we both were from the Thousand Oaks area. <laughs> and wow. I, yeah, a small world. And I even know where Tracy played tennis and all where she went to high school. It's so good to have you. Tracy, tell, let me ask you before we begin the podcast, how has, how did, I, I feel it's over, how did the pandemic affect uh, your career? Well, I think uh, that it, it makes you think, which is, I think, such a healthy thing in life to experience, it, it makes you think outside the box. Uh, one of the best things that came from it is, our recovery program was always based in a walk-in basis, and the pandemic forced us to go into online classrooms, and we have been able to reach so many more women throughout not just the USA but globally who can now participate in, in recovery from the privacy of their own home or their own phone. So it was really, it, was really, uh, it expanded us in, in many ways, and I think the biggest challenge was all of us having to get used to losing that one-to-one contact, that hands-on contact. But I think that, that you, you know, you're an example that you can, you can break through, you, you can still have intimacy and closeness even if there's a, a screen between us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the one thing that I learned, that it was possible to continue that intimate feeling of healing <clears throat> even though we're in an online classroom. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things, I call it the pandemic pause, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people have found, uh, even though it was awful when it began, along the way, uh, more options became available, and people, the way they are, they are adaptable, they adjusted, they made changes, take a deep breath and uh, carry on, which is how you get through anything in life. Now, You've been in the recovery world uh, for almost 30 years. It's hard to believe you look so young, but <laughs> now tell how did your journey begin? How did you get into this profession? The, I entered this journey and I found myself living in highly narcissistic relationships because as a child, I was raised in an environment where there was narcissism, and so the personality trait of a narcissist was normalized to me. So because it was normalized, it took it getting to extreme levels of dysfunction for me to to admit this is a very painful environment. So I think like a lot of people, you were drawn to something that was familiar and uh, that would probably have made you feel comfortable in the beginning. Um, okay, let's talk again about your book, The Courage to Say No. That's an incredibly wonderful, inviting title. Uh, how did that come about? 
So the my my road to recovery began by uh, it, it began when I found myself in my mid twenties uh, marrying somebody who uh, became a completely different person after we were married to the point that they were threatening my life, et cetera, et cetera. And so I had to literally run for my life and go into hiding. And the book is called The Courage to Say No More. And so what happened to me is that as I, as I untangled myself from that, from all the trauma that happened, and as I said, that was like an inferno of abuse because I was raised with a, a low heat under my whole life. It took extreme situations for me to recognize that I was in trouble. So when I left that, I did the the classic forms of healing when you're coming out of a, a covertly abusive relationship. Fast forward my life because because narcissism and the personality of narcissism was at a base level for me. I could not uh, recognize when this personality would re-enter my life. And especially at the time, January, that narcissism, narcissistic abuse trauma, narcissistic abuse, it didn't have a name. You know, they were called a jerk or dysfunctional or no, they're really not that way. So I found myself for many, many years living in highly narcissistic, painful relationships without thinking there was something wrong with me, Mm -hmm. sending myself into anxiety and depression and self-doubt and all those different things. And it wasn't until uh, one day I walked into a therapy office. Mm -hmm. Therapist says, you know, why are you here? And my response is, because my brain feels like it's made of mush and I feel invisible. And that was the only way that I could describe where I was. And it took some time, but I just, I got very lucky and I found somebody who was on the front end of this. And after several, like almost a month or so, she said, I think you might be suffering from abuse with a narcissist. And I'm like, what is that? (laughs) And that's the game changer for me is that the ghost Uh became name. So the courage to say no more was my, my phase one and the first part of my healing mm-hmm. uh, from healing very traumatic abuse. And then the second part of my recovery came and really specializing in this thing called narcissistic abuse. That's an amazing introduction uh, to our podcast. Uh, right now, we're going to take a break. And if uh, you are a whiner or you know someone who whines, this is the book for you. Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shalt Not Whine, the 11th commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shall Not Whine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, 
specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Wine at Amazon.com. I wanted to mention that all of my books are now at audible.com. And we're back with Tracy Kremble, who is not a whiner because she is a winner. Tracy, before we go on, could you share with our listeners your contact information and where they can get your books and your website? Oh, thank you very much. My my book is called Narctionary, my most recent book. It's available on Amazon.com, and you spell it like dictionary, only with narctionary. <laughs> <And> Very clever. <laughs> and my website is drtracy.tv. Okay, good. Wonderful. And um, abusive narcissists. This is uh, was a new term for you, and it certainly is a new term for me and probably for a lot of our listeners. And I'm sure some people are listening to you, and I'm sure some people are identifying with what you're having to say. Uh, your second book, uh, Narctionary, which I, I love the title. I love saying it. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us about uh, what prompted you to write that book after your second book. Well, fast forward, fast forward many years, and I I went from being a victim of abuse to becoming an expert in not just, well, I became an expert in accepting abuse for many years, but when I became an expert in recovery, that was a game changer. And I run a recovery program. It's called Reclaiming Me. It's been going on for um, 20 years now. We meet uh, twice a week uh, in my Zoom rooms. And what happened was I had a newbie contact me and of course she had she was on the floor with the devastation the person that she was with uh, the her narcissist up and uh, left her put her out like a piece of trash and I said to her that's called the discard and she said what's the discard and I said it's what the narcissist does blah 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 and she says yeah but I don't understand this because they would do something wrong and then they would apologize, but it would never heal me and it didn't, uh, nothing ever changed. I said, well, that's called a faux apology. And she's like, what's a faux apology? I said, a faux apology is the, the false apology of the narcissist. And she's like, oh my gosh. And then, but I'm, I'm just feeling so mushy in my brain and, and I, am I crazy? And it, because, you know, we would talk about things and, and nothing would ever get resolved. And I said, well, that's probably because they're speaking in word salad. And she's like, what's a word salad? <laughs> And I said, a word salad is when the narcissist will put so many words into the conversation that you literally don't remember your reference point and what you're trying to accomplish. And so we kept having this conversation, and she said to me, you know, you should really write a book that all these terms are there so that we newbies can just pick it up and understand, you know, rather than diving deep into therapy, that that we we can just have a quick reference. And what I did is I literally opened up my phone and I had this this file that I kept for myself for years and right. I had already alphabetized it and I said, I can do that. So I sat down, I just started to put it together. I wow. included self assessment test in there because, you know, mm-hmm. so many times we're like, Does this happen to me? How much does it happen? And when you can check it off mm-hmm. and yeah. 
Wow, did you? I mean, who would think you'd ever be able to write a, a dictionary book? I, I'm the, I know how hard it is to write just a regular book, but I'm sure doing a dictionary book, what research? You know, one of the uh, words that I like that I had never heard in regards to this type of recovery was the uh, word aftershock. Yes, and it's real. That's powerful. Now, what is explained to our listeners about aftershock? So aftershock is it a, a setback in your recovery. It's when you've been along your your recovery journey and you feel like you're doing really really well, and it could be a year, two years, three years down the road, and all of a sudden something will happen and you find yourself really slipping back or being re-traumatized in ways that you think oh my gosh, wait a minute, I, I've done my work in this area. Why am I slipping back? Why am I getting so leveled by this? And that's why it's called aftershock because it's post-abuse, partly post-recovery, that all of a sudden something just goes in there and throws you for a loop. And the, the, the term comes from actual earthquakes where we have the original earthquake that causes all the damage. Mm-hmm. And, and when the earthquake is over, you have all these aftershocks that still traumatize and shake you up. So that's where the word comes from, and it's real in recovery. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's an interesting uh, thing to talk about because I know so many people think, Oh, you know, I left. I got rid of him. Now it's over. But I think as long as you're in contact with this person, it they have the ability to still weave their, uh, I don't want to say magic, but weave their spell. Manipulations, yes. Yeah, yes. it's manipulative. It's true that that they they say that the most uh, effective way to heal from narcissistic trauma is what's called no contact and yeah. no. That is exactly what it sounds like. It's no contact. That's not always realistic for people. And if you find yourself, for example, if this is a parent that you you want to somehow remain in relationship with, if this is the the parent of your child, if you're co-parenting together, being completely away from that person is nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. And so there. You know, there is contact, but it will. If you don't have what I call your emotional fire suit on, you can easily get burned by them again. Wow. Um, Just out of curiosity, because when I was uh, through my life, I've always heard the term when people were acting not quite right, we would hear the term bipolar. Are narcissists, do they tend to be bipolar? That's a really good question, and I'll tell you why, is... You hear the term narcissist thrown around a lot lately, and you hear sociopath, psychopath, and there are definitely degrees of narcissism. It's not just clear, you know, black or white. It's a spectrum disorder. So it, you know, it's not like pregnancy. You're just a little bit narcissistic. You know, it's a spectrum disorder, and so it can go from healthy narcissism right here on up the scale to... uh, narcissistic characteristics to narcissistic personality disorder to antisocial personality disorder, which is sociopath, psychopath. Mm -hmm. So along that, many times people in the past would probably call a narcissist a bipolar. A narcissist can tend to present themselves as bipolar because their personality goes from zero to 100 in a second. And so they're in a benign state. They don't get their way with something. 
and their their personality can can do this. This doesn't make them bipolar. This makes them manipulative. Bipolar is, you know, we all have this line that emotionally that we run in. And what happens with bipolar is that it can be a slow grade up and then a big crash. Yeah. Yeah. Are like this to gain control and to keep people just disheveled. Yeah, and it seems like narcissists have a plan where I think sometimes bipolar people are actually victims of their own disease. And Absolutely. yeah, and uh, I, I think of now that I'm talking to you, I think of a narcissist as premeditated. Uh, I told you my favorite word after shock in your book. What is your favorite word? Oh my goodness, there's so <laughs> many, but I think that the one that that I appreciated the most along my recovery journey, uh, and it's called poop in your soup. And, and and what it represents is how toxic narcissistic uh, abuse is. Mm-hmm. And so narcissistic abuse is like having poop in your soup. And, and no amount of poop in your soup is ever okay. And it was a reminder to me to understand that that you cannot, Tracy Kemble, you cannot allow yourself to even tolerate a drop of it if you're going to get well. It is toxic and it will make you sick. And so that one I laugh at, I was able to laugh, and it's always so good when you can reach points of, uh, moments of your healing when you're able to just shake your head and, and find the humor or something or the extremity of it that doesn't level you. And that one was kind of a wake-up call to me where I'm like, Tracy, why is it okay for you to dabble with a little poop in your soup? If somebody offered to serve you that in life, you would be like, absolutely no way. And that's a boundary that I needed to learn with myself is no is no. And I am not interested and you can't convince me to accept more than than nothing, you know? (laughs) Yeah, very good. Right now. We're going to take a break, and, you know, it's been 60 years since the assassination of John Kennedy, and this book is a theory about who might have killed Kennedy. Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before, but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack, The Tragic Love Triangle, connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. Did you know that Ari was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world, with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Ari needed class, and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and Audiobooks.com, read by Ms. Jones. 
We're back with Dr. Tracy Kremble. And believe me, if you want to read about some narcissists, <laughs> go read my Kennedy books. There's quite a few of them in there. Tracy, tell me, are are people born with narcissism or is it something they're taught or how does this come about in their life? When uh, we are not born with narcissism, to answer your question, we are, narcissists are created. They are created from a trauma basis. They're normally created by another narcissist. Uh, and, you know, we come into this, this existence as a blank canvas. And, and it is the environment that we're exposed to when we are young that paints who we are. Becoming a narcissist, is some as a child who goes into survival mode, and the interesting thing about it is that you know many, when many people think of a narcissist, they think of somebody who's very full of themselves. Mm-hmm. And though there are different types of narcissists, for example, the cerebral narcissist or the covert narcissist, or et cetera, et cetera, that actually beneath the shield, this ego present, um, false facade of a narcissist that you're actually dealing with a very traumatized person. And can narcissism be cured? Well, technically I would like to say yes. However, in order for somebody to to be able to heal from narcissism, it's no different than healing from any type of an addiction where you have to have that coming to reality moment where you say, I have a problem. I have a problem and my problem is killing me and other people. And because of the, the dynamics of narcissism, which is a personality that will not admit that they're wrong in anything because mm-hmm. it's helpful for them, they're stuck in the cycle of, of living behind that false facade and executing their maneuvers that they need to protect that broken self as well as continue to fuel their ego. Okay. Now, earlier you used a term I hadn't heard before. You you talked about uh, healthy narcissists, nice narcissists. Uh, Describe someone like that. Well, we all need, those are two different things, so I'll I'll differentiate them. Healthy narcissism is, it it belongs right here in front of us, and we all need it. And healthy narcissism allows us to keep the good in and push the bad out. That sense of self-value that says, hey, you know, not with me that I will not allow that happen. That's healthy narcissism. Okay. Unhealthy or a nice narcissist. I happen to know this yeah. very, very, very nice narcissist. He is no one that would lash out and hurt someone, but he he is somebody who all conversations lead back to self. You could say, I went to the store today, and they'll say, I went to the store today, and I found this, and I got this and that. I, 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 my child just did really well in school. My child did really well in school. And I remember when I was young and I did well in school. So mm-hmm. I think that those are the nice, nice narcissists. Like the common thing about a narcissist is that they just, they usurp the room and they suck the oxygen out of the room where there's just no space for other people in the conversation. We've all met people like that. And I, that term suck the energy out of the room really resonates with me through my 80 years of my life that I can relate to that one. Um, So when you were talking about the nice narcissist, it sounds they're kind of like 
people who are just extremely friendly and want to be, uh, as you said, have every conversation get back to them. Is well, that- the goal of narcissists, imagine that a person with narcissism is like a, the way I describe it, they're like a cell phone battery, that if they don't constantly get fuel or charge, yeah. they, they feel like they will disappear. They, oh. they really feel like invisible people. And so that's why they, they have to talk about themselves. It's a, it's a way of them saying, I'm visible, I'm visible, I'm visible, I'm visible. Did you see me? Because I need to be visible. Now, when somebody starts to go into being a, a dangerous type of a narcissist is when they will hurt other people. They, they don't have empathy. So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, what, the reason it's called a topology is if somebody harms another person, 